Sometimes you have to talk to yourself, you know. Sometimes you just, where David would talk to himself lots of times, be still, my soul, you know. I will yet praise him. We have this treasure of the presence of the Lord Jesus, but it's in an earthen vessel, and sometimes that earthen vessel will get to, get to chatter, get to talk. You be still, my soul. I will yet praise him. There's a prayer in my heart. I want to just, if I could, offer this prayer. Streaming family, you are right in the middle of what we're doing and so much a part of every week and every service. And so we join with you as you join with us from, from this place. If you just want to open your hands, open your palms, that's the, that's the posture of surrender. It's the posture of receiving receiving. Lord, we need you today. We need you today. We ask you that you would send your spirit and power to our hearts for Christ's sake. Say that with me, would you, family of God? Lord, send your spirit and power to my heart. Lord, send your spirit and power to my heart. Teach me, Lord, what you want me to learn. Give to me by your Spirit the emotions that you know I need in order to be able to serve you with joy, but to be able to serve you with resolve. We ask you, Lord, that you would send your Spirit in power to our minds, to our emotions the places in our choices where we can be weak and we can continually choose, far too many times, choose the wrong thing. Lord, send your spirit and power to our will so that we will be enabled to choose what is right. Apart from you, we can do nothing, you've said, and we don't even want to try. We, we just acknowledge that. Apart from you, we're failures. Apart from you, we're weak. Apart from you, we won't finish. Lord, you have said that we can do all things by the power of the one who is giving us strength, and we count on that today. Will you take your word, Lord, please, open it to us and feed us, feed us in the place, especially, particularly in the place of knowing that when you say you will forgive us and we confess our sins and we put our trust in Jesus his death on the cross for our sins, that we can know what it is to be forgiven. I pray that, Lord, for my brothers and sisters today, in places wherever they may be, that the enemy has tried to hound them with guilt and shame, has tried to continually say to them, sometimes in the nighttime, sometimes when they're by themselves, sometimes when they just need a clear look into your face, but that voice of the enemy, you're not forgiven, you're still guilty, you still should be ashamed. Lord, to those hearts, to those places, to those conclusions, will you send your truth today to set us free? In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Finding him faithful to forgive, finding him faithful 
to forgive. Can I say that one more time just so we'll understand the direction this morning? Finding him faithful to forgive. I'm looking into the faces of some folks, and if we could see our streaming family, I'm sure, I'm sure there, there would be many of you there as well. And you would have to say, when I didn't deserve it, when I couldn't do enough to undo what I had done, I have found him faithful to forgive me. Could you say amen if that's you? As we go through some of these things this morning, will you please just give testimony to what is true in your heart, what you have found to be true? You can stomp your foot. You can pat the pew in front of you. You can wave your hand. You can just say amen. You can just grunt spiritually. Just, mm, and that'll be. But don't let something go by that is true about you and his faithfulness to you in that place of forgiveness without registering it, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I haven't forgotten. I'm remembering that I have found you faithful to forgive me. I want you to find a passage in your Bible that is one of the most well-known, at least to those, to the Hebrew readers, to the Israel readers before Jesus ever came along. It's one of the most prominent passages in all of the Old Testament. It, it's a recording of the very first thing that the Lord ever spoke to leadership of his people, that he wanted them to know what kind of God, what was at the heart of the God they were called to follow and to serve and to believe. Moses had a tough job in, in more ways than, than one. He, he, was, he was called to lead Israel out of Egypt, been in bondage for 400, 450 years. All that ever known was slavery, at least in this, that most recent generation that was, was called to trust the Lord to end the slavery and bring them out. And Moses didn't feel like he was a good spokesman. He, he was a reluctant leader. But the Lord convinced him of God's plan for his life. Have you ever had that happen to you? That you found yourself reluctantly saying, Lord, if this is you, I'll do it. But I'm not sure I'm able, I'm capable. The Lord many times will pick folks that aren't looking for a leadership role. He'll, he'll find you and pick pick us, especially in the areas where we know that we're, we're the weakest. And, and unless he does it, it ain't going to happen. We can't give ourselves any credit. That, that was Moses. And, and it wasn't an easy group of people to lead. All they'd ever known was slavery. All they'd ever known was somebody telling them what to do. But they did have a roof over their head, and they did have have food to eat regularly, and so when they decided to follow Moses, that they come out and they don't have that roof over their head, and they don't have anything other than that manna that they had to gather together every morning, and, and it would last them through the week, and they'd get enough on Friday to make it till, make it till Sunday, and they could start all over again, but they, they found themselves just frustrated, many of them, at, at why is this 
Why is this so? Are we having to be so desperately trusting to this God we can't see? And, and so the Lord called Moses up on Mount Sinai, you'll remember that, and, and, and gave him the Ten Commandments, written tablets of stone by the finger of God. And, and, and Moses, Moses comes down from the mountain ready to deliver them a handwritten listing of the things God says, if you follow these, I will bless you. It wasn't about trying to destroy their, their civilization or rob their fun. But if you, if, if you follow these, these steps, these, this process, you'll honor these things. You'll be blessed as a nation. Well, he comes down off the mountain, and, and they're, they're having this wild party and basically deciding they want to go back to Egypt. They, they don't want to stay in the wilderness anymore. It's better in Egypt, better in slavery than it was in freedom. And it just, it just broke Moses' heart, and he grew angry. And he took those two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments written on them by the finger of God, and he just, he just threw them to the ground, and they shattered he was done. He was ready to go do something else. But these people are hopeless, he said. And yet he pled with the Lord that the Lord would give them another chance. And the Lord responded to Moses' petition, his intercession for the people of Israel. And so Moses is called back up on Mount Sinai again. And he's going to get another, another copy of the Ten Commandments on the tablet of stone. But in that setting, in that setting of Moses having been devastated by the sinfulness of the people that he was called to lead, by the, by the fickleness of their faith, by, the, by the, how quickly they would, they would forget the Red Sea crossing and want to go back across the Red Sea and live as slaves. Blown away by that, in that setting, this happened. Exodus chapter 34. And verse 5, we get quickly to this spot. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, Moses, as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And yet he will by no means leave the guilty who would, and just put this a parenthesis, who refused to repent, who refused to turn back from those ways, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. These words are not Moses' words. These were words that the Lord spoke describing himself to Moses, describing himself, stating his heart, the major attributes 
of his heart to Moses, who would then declare these words to the children of Israel and to ensuing generations, landing powerfully in David's heart and the prophets' hearts and continuing on into have an impact when the New Testament was written and the Apostle Paul, particularly in the second chapter of Romans, when he would say, it is the goodness and kindness of the Lord that leads a man, leads a person to repentance. I want you to go back over this. Let me just kind of talk about a few of these words. This, this passage in some form or another is repeated at least eight different times throughout the course of your Old Testament, all the way through to Malachi. Last reference probably being in the book of Joel. But the Lord is saying this about himself. And as you look at these words, you will see shot through the impact and implication of each of these words is this matter of the need for forgiveness. The people, God's people, are going to need to experience the forgiveness of the Lord. You, you can... You can legislate sin. You can write laws to make certain things the Lord would call sin and a grief to him. You can go ahead and write them into law, into human law. The only problem with that is it's not even as good as the paper on which the words are written because the Lord is the one before whom we ultimately stand. It's not down here. It's not a jury, not a court down here, but it's before him that we stand. And the things that he has given as laws to help direct our behavior is for the purpose of our good. It is for the purpose of a strong and healthy and viable civilization. It's for the purpose of creating a strong culture between men and women and families and nations even. These things are true. His heart is true. The things that he says are important for us to do. If we abide by them, there's life. But if we don't abide by them, the consequences, the wages of sin is death. So he knows that. He knows that we're going to be prone to want to go our own way and turn our backs on him in one way or the other. And so he says this about himself. Now, I don't want you to listen to this as if you're listening to it for somebody else, will you? <laughs> I sure hope they're hearing this. Would you let this into the place where in the, maybe it's a secret in your life, maybe it's a season in your life. Maybe it's a place where you used to be. But to know this about the God who loves you this morning, knows that you failed, but this is still who he is. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate. First word, He's not angry. 
He's not mad every time your name comes up. He's not done with you. Compassionate. He is compassionate. Knowing that we're going to need mercy sometime. We're going to need someone to pity us sometime. And this is saying that even when men don't, people don't, your Lord's heart toward you is compassion. The next thing listed there is gracious. Compassion has to do with a sense of pity, predisposed to have pity. Gracious means predisposed to want to give you and me something that we don't deserve, to want to convey to us, to give us something that we haven't earned. In fact, we've earned the opposite. Oh, can we just let this in? Satan will try to do everything he can to say that God is the opposite of these statements. But this is who he is. And you're going to find David after he has slept with Bathsheba. She's pregnant to cover the whole thing, try to. He has her husband Uriah killed in a battle. When the weight of what he had done settled in on him a year later and he couldn't take it anymore, he comes back to this truth. Lord, I throw myself on your compassion. Gracious are you, Lord, because you said that's who you are. And if ever in my life I've needed your grace, I've needed your compassion. It is now in the middle of what I have done. And you say, well, you don't know, that's really interesting that David said that. David was described as the man after God's own heart. David is the man whom the Lord used to write a big chunk of the, of the Bible in a human sense. But he needed to know that even in his humanity, and especially in his humanity when he failed grievously, He still found himself embraced by the compassion, by the grace. Folks, I just need to say, sometimes sometimes when we get graced a lot ourselves, when we've we've been compassioned a whole bunch ourselves, because of the junk we've done, Somehow, in some crazy, distorted way, we can rise up on some pedestal and be the most critical and the most judgmental of folks who have done no worse than what we did. But the condemning and the judging and the the wanting to ostracize, instead of it being that we would respond in the same way that our Father responds. He says that when there is no repentance, that there will be consequences passed on to the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. That it's important to turn away. It's important to renounce. It's important to realize, as David would say, against thee and thee only have I sinned, Psalm 51. But as he said that, 
He's saying, Lord, more than anything in the world that I want, more than anything in my life, I want to be restored to you. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Restore a right spirit. We'll look at that a bit further in, in a little bit. But, but it's, it's, it's his heart. It's his heart. The, the, the thing that, that we feel like that we've done something We've done something so wrong or done things for so long so wrong that whenever our name comes up, he just wants to spit. Whenever our name comes up, he just wants to stomp his foot. What if instead of it being that quick to anger, there is that sense rising up in his heart of pity, compassion, knowing that if we keep going the way we're going, that the consequences are going to come back in on our behavior. The, the wages of sin is death. The Lord doesn't have to do anything to cause something. It's a law that what you reap, you sow. What you reap, what, um, excuse me, what you sow, you reap. What you sow, you reap. So if we keep on sowing death, we're going to get that back unless there is the repentance and, Lord, that was wrong. I return to you. I come to you. Forgive me. His heart all the way through it is loving you, missing you, wanting to bless you, wanting to bring you up out of that. And his, his longing is for you and me to turn to him. Lord, I'm throwing myself on your mercy. I'm throwing myself on your grace. And I'm crying out to you, Lord. I, I need your compassion. I need your... I'm not asking you to bless my sin. I hate that now. I'm not asking you to change your rules. You were right all along. But what I am asking for is that your mercy and your grace would rescue me. Now, this, it's as old as the first time the Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Sometimes we wonder, Lord, you sure miss a good, good chance to just slap that one down. You, you missed a good chance to cut that off. You, you let it go. Slow to anger. It, it, it comes from the word to flare the nostrils, the verb to flare the nostrils, meaning that when a man gets mad, ladies, I guess you can do this too, but your nostrils flare. That if you're, if you're, if you're really angry, it's going to show up on your nose. That's the word here, that, that he's, he's slow to flare his nostrils in anger. In other words, he's not sitting on the throne in heaven mad as he can be. That's not who he is, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. That's a, that's a word that 
that is repeated so many times in the Old Testament with reference to God's relationship with Israel, that that he initiated this covenant of loving kindness. my, My heart is to be lovingly kind to you. Lovingly kind. So therefore, I'm giving you these rules to follow, these laws to follow, because they will keep you in the place where my loving kindness can freely flow. Not to hurt you, but to bless you. Not to deprive you, but to crown you with abundance. My heart is to want to bless. My heart is to want to extend kindness. My heart is full of love for you. Abounding in loving kindness. And then in truth, loving kindness and truth. Another translation for that can be faithfulness. Abounding in faithfulness. He's not looking for somebody else to love more than you or me. Or loyalty is another word, abounding in loving kindness and loyalty and faithfulness. Then it says he keeps loving kindness to thousands, for thousands, thousands of generations is probably how that is meant to be understood. But then I want you to know that he comes back again about forgiveness we're going to need forgiveness. He's going to need to be, he's going to be compassionate when we need forgiveness. He's going to be gracious when we need forgiveness. His loving kindness is going to be extended, particularly in the light of the times we're going to need to be forgiven for our violations of that which was right in his side. But look what he says. Just so we'll make sure he's not talking about the lightweight things that he longs to forgive. He lists three different kinds of offenses to him, or three different kinds of sin. The first one, he says, who forgives, keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity. Iniquity is another word for perversion, acts of perversion. His heart, his heart is to forgive one consumed with perversion. When that one will turn to him and renounce the sin of what the Lord would call perverted, turn to the Lord, seek his forgiveness, his mercy, and it would be granted. He, who, for, who forgives iniquity? Here's another category, transgression. That means premeditated rebellion or revolt against the standards that the Lord has laid out. In my heart, he says, there is ample room and energy and compassion and loving kindness to forgive perversion, to forgive flat out and all out revolt, rebellion, premeditated. I I knew that it was wrong, Lord, but I did it anyway. I knew that it was against what your standards are, but basically I rebelled, I revolted, and I did it my way anyway. And then the last one is the word sin forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin 
meaning any offense, anything that would be said, done, thought, acted upon that would be an offense unto him. It, it, it's as if he's saying, I'm not expecting the human race to live perfectly. I'm not expecting my people to never break a law. But what I want them to know is when they break my law, when they premeditatedly revolt from what I have said they should do, when it descends even into the depths of perversion, there is still in my heart compassion for them, grace for them, abounding loving kindness for them. The enemy, the accuser of the brethren, wants us to be convinced that God is the opposite of these words. That he's already mad, he's loaded with vengeance, he can't wait until he can just strike us with a bolt out of the blue or turn everything against us. He's a liar, and he's a professional liar, and he's got a Ph.D. in human reason, and he knows how to tell a lie in a way that we'll think it makes sense. That's why we need to come back to the written Word of God to establish in our understanding, in our hearts, who our God is, what he has plenty of, and what he's still able to do. Amen. Compassionate, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. But this next phrase is very important and very insightful, yet he will by no means leave the guilty the unrepentant guilty, unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers. That's that word for perversion, okay? It, it, it can mean the composite of all the sins, all the accumulated sins, the height of which could be something called perversion. He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. It, it has been stunning early, in the early days. As time has gone on, it's not stunning anymore. It just seems to be a revelation that can come out of generations of family secrets here in San Antonio. That it would just seem as if in a family line, Fathers, brothers, uncles, it was just the way they were. They, they just, they, there, was a, there was a perversion. There was a sense of molestation, sexual molestation happening in family lines. It, it was something that would not be talked about in family gatherings. It was just a dark secret that was known. And amazingly, that curse would pass from one generation to another generation until, until, until it came 
there came time for someone who is, you're going to have a seat? Okay, good deal. Until someone came along and said, it stops with me. It's going no further. It stops with me. I confess my sin, the sin of my family line. I call it perversion. I call it wrong. I call it sin in the sight of God. And I renounce it in the name of Jesus. That it will stop with me. And it will not be passed on through me to my children and to my grandchildren. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Somebody, and it may be you, and been a number of ones over the years in this family, in this spiritual family, have seen the importance of stopping the passing of the curse down through a family line. It stops with you, and the rest behind you are free. His forgiveness, his forgiveness steps in. That, that, that compassion, the loving kindness enters and takes over where the curse had been dominating. But somebody's got to quit saying, well, it's just the way my family is, or it's not really that bad, or it's just always happened. Somebody's got to stand up and say, it's perversion. It's straight from hell. It's wrong. Jesus died for that sin. I've received you as my Savior and Lord Jesus, and I stand in the authority of forgiveness, and I hold up this promise that as I confess the sins of my family line, and I declare there will be no future encroachment past me in this situation. It stops. It, it stops. The ones before you, the ones who won't see it, they may go on living in that land of blindness, but with you, from you on, it can be different. Let me show you another place where this passage is referenced. Go, go to, uh, if you would, Psalm number 103. Psalm number 103. Here, here's, here's what this looks like. Here's what the heart of God for people looks like. David writes in Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who rescues your life from traps that people have set for you who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Old eagle sheds its feathers on a regular basis and new feathers grow in an old eagle's body, but the, the old eagle has got new feathers. That's what this is talking about. The Lord performs righteous deeds. The Lord performs acts of vindication and judgments for all who are oppressed. Do you see how that ties back in with 
That's Psalm 34. This is just, David is just giving some examples of what it means for the Lord to show his compassion and his grace and for his loving kindness to be manifest. Look at verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Hear the words again. Slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He'll not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him, who revere him, who honor him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And then these are wonderful words, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who reverence him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. He is mindful that we are but dust. He knows that our frame is frail. As a loving father would have compassion on his children, so your heavenly father will have compassion on you. There's not an earthly father alive who knows his children, really knows his children, and would expect that child never to fail. Now, there are some grandfathers that believe that they, their grandsons are, are beyond failure. You know, I mean, the, the grandfathers, the grandparents, the generation move, can, can believe well, there, there's nothing wrong with that one. But you, you change the diapers, you, you feed them, you, you clean up their mess in the house that you live with them, and you've got you've to try to impose some learning of authority on their part, and you realize, as a dad, I'm going to have to love that boy. I'm going to need to love that young lady in spite of and beyond where she's wrong and where, she's, where she sins. The heart of the Lord, the heart of the Lord for you. Now, the reason this may be vital for some of you listening is, is because you, you've come to the conclusion, and it hasn't been the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord bringing you to this conclusion. It would be the spirits of darkness bringing the conclusion that you're beyond hope. That, that, that what has happened before so has tainted you, so has diminished you, that you could never again be something mighty for God or useful to the Lord. If you go through the whole of Scripture, it's striking how many of the ones who were mightily used of the Lord also had some dark skeletons in their closet. Had some things that if they had focused on and lived on, they would never have stepped into the light of the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel like 
There needs to be some strong encouragement to brothers and sisters. Instead of you listening to what people say about you, instead of you giving most of your ear to what you may be able and feeling about yourself, go to the places where we've read this morning with regard to who God says he is. Do, do you fit as a candidate for compassion? Do you fit as a candidate for his grace to bless you with more than what your acts, my acts, would deserve? And ask the Lord by his Spirit to press what he says about you into your heart. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He forgives. He forgives perversions, rebellions, and all manner of offenses. That's who he is. That's who he is. That's who he is. And folks, instead of us taking the role of the judge, when we've been rescued from things like that, and pointing our finger down and saying things about folks and writing them off, why can't we have the same heart of our Father toward ones who are in the places where we were? That will honor Him the most, and that will bring the most joy, I think, to, to those of us who can speak of His compassion. Now, I want to give you one other spot to look at, and if you'll find your way to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, the, the one who passed by and delivered the description of Jehovah God to Moses may very well have been a pre-Bethlehem appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in the form of evidently some bodily form. He, he, he stood there. He passed by. It, was, it, it wasn't just a sound or a cloud or noise. There was, there was somebody there. So, so when, when the Scripture says that Jesus emptied himself from the form of God and took upon himself the form of a man, and then he came in the form of the man, and he would say, as Jesus of Nazareth, I don't say anything but what I hear my father saying. I don't do anything but what I see my father doing. He would say, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. What if this Jesus of Luke 15 was also the form of God in Exodus 34? What about that? And then what if in this story in Luke chapter 15, which is one of the most amazingly glorious descriptive sections of the heart of the Father for bad people, what if he is giving us the story that he made up to describe the Father's heart, and he's doing that to make sure we understand what was meant in Exodus 34 that we read. This is a story, Jesus. I just assume this is, this is Jesus. This is the Exodus 34. This is the Exodus 34 form of God. Now come as man, 
and now telling stories so that we can understand the heart of God. This is Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus is speaking. And he said, a certain man had two sons. Sons, not a servant or a slave and then a son. They were both sons. They were both in the family. They, they, they shared the dignity of a relationship with the Father, and they bore resemblance in that sense to the Father. That's that word huios used of special ones in relation to their Father. The younger of them said to his father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. Jesus is telling the story, the Exodus 34 form of God in a sense, warning us to make sure we get it. What does he mean with those words back then? He said he went on a journey into a distant country and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. The God of Exodus 34 telling us the story in Luke 15. Think about that. But when he came to his senses, Jesus said, but when the young man came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, but the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to be merry. There are things that strike us about the son's rebellion, premeditated rebellion. Revolt. But it may be that the most 
striking part of all of this is when Jesus describes the heart of that father. It wasn't that when the boy returned, he was going to be met with the police, met with a certificate of how you have profaned the family name and therefore you are to be stricken from the will. It said when the old man, we'll just assume an older man with that son coming, it says he got up and ran. He didn't run away from him. He ran toward him. And when he got to him, it says he embraced him. He fell upon him. And then it says, and Jesus uses this interesting and amazing expression of affection. That, that, that he, he, he ran to him, the father did. He embraced him. And then it says, it, it, it literally, he fell upon his neck and kissed him. He kissed him. And he kissed him, and he kissed him, and he kissed him again. It was a continuous. The string of Jesus is saying that. The Exodus 34, deliverer of that word. Here's what I want you to get. You may have been a thousand miles away. You may have wasted your fortune. You may have profaned a name. But you determined to come back home. You determined to come back to the Lord. Turn your back on this other and you come back home, and you will be met with amazing grace. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Now you, you hear in Jesus' words, I'm no longer worthy to be your son because of the way I've acted. He wasn't asking the father to excuse and to rewrite the will and give him another doling out. I get it. What I did was wrong. I'm not asking you to raise another set of rules, Father. I was wrong. I'm not worthy in the light of what I did to be your son if you'll just make me a servant so I can eat, so I can live, so I can make it. But when the father, the earthly father in this story, heard those words from the son, he knew that he then had permission to rejoice in the recovery of the Son. I'm saying to some folks listening to this, that, that you may have gone a million miles in your willful rebellion and choices that you've made, but you're not still at the place of trying to defend that or excuse that. You get it. It broke God's law, therefore, Death in various forms has come to your life. You see that. You're turning away from it, or maybe you already have turned away from it, but here's the part. Here, here's the missing link. You're not supposed to just feel like you've got to stay away from the Lord, even though you know that what you did was wrong. This is such an appeal. Come home, the Lord is saying to some maybe today, You've seen that what you've done is wrong. Come back to me. Come back to me. It may be that the church in some form or another may have been what pushed you out and in some senses where there were violations of how the church is to operate as a holy people under the Lord. Some things, some steps need to be taken. 
But that does mean, that does not mean that the Lord's heart for you has grown cold. That the Lord's heart for you has changed. Compassion, pity, compassion, pity, compassion, pity. David in Psalm 51 would cast himself upon the mercy of the Lord. And then he would say, create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore a right spirit within me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but renew the joy of my salvation and restore within me a heart. I, I just I, I think, feel like some of the things we've, we've, we've forgotten to teach folks. We, we, we're strong on repent. It was wrong. Repent, turn away, stop it, come back to the Lord. But then we, 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 we've, we've missed the step. And how do you live a forgiven life? How do you live in a place of walking out your forgiveness. And it's not just about you trying harder to not ever go back to that again. That's why David would say, don't take your spirit from me. Lord, I need your spirit to create a clean heart within me. It's the word ex nihilo, out of nothing. Bara is the, is the Hebrew word. It, it, it was used to cre the creation of the earth. My, and basically say, my, my, my heart is so messed up. My heart is so fouled up that you can't even use the parts of my heart to create a new heart. you got to start all over. Create in me a clean heart. Who can do that? The Spirit of the living Jesus can do that. Lord, send your Spirit in power to my heart. To do what? To create a clean heart in the middle of the junk. To restore a right spirit. David knew that he was going to have to have help or he'd be chasing another skirt. He'd be doing something else equally as awful, even though he knew this was bad. He knew that it had to be the Lord doing a fresh work in his heart to restore a right spirit within him. Do you need that? I need that. I need that. And I'm telling you, folks, instead of just thinking, well, we get the Holy Spirit, all we're ever going to get the Holy Spirit when we get saved, or I was at a youth camp and I got revived, or I heard somebody preach and, and sing a song and I got revived as if it's just these isolated things. I love that old song. I can't even walk unless you're holding my hand. I can't even walk unless you're holding. Jesus, Lord, send your spirit in power to my heart. Create a clean heart. Restore a right spirit. Enable me by the power of your spirit to know that I'm forgiven. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lord, I need to be set free from the shackles that are holding me in shame and keeping me in the place of guilt that won't let up. Lord, send your spirit. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Lord, send your spirit in power to my heart. Create in me a clean heart. Restore a right spirit. It's not about you memorizing 50 verses on why you need to be morally clean. If it was all about just memorizing verses and knowing information from the Bible, the Holy Spirit would never have had to be poured out. This is not called the help. The Holy Spirit, the invisible presence of the living exalted Jesus. His name is your helper. Let the helper help. Yeah. Then I, I got I to quit here. 
Why did Jesus say, Luke eleven thirteen. if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit in power to those who are asking him? If you need to ask him every 30 seconds, if you need to continue that cry from your heart morning, afternoon, night, middle of the night, and gladly welcome the truth, I'm helpless without you. But realizing that it is not the Lord's plan for you to grunt and strain and strive and fight to beat the flesh up and try to do all these things on our own because we will fail in time. Even the most mentally disciplined, even the most resolved with their commitment to to stay the course, eventually lose their steam. You will lose your steam. That's my testimony. But there's somebody who wants to help you who will never lose his steam. But as long as we're staying plugged in, that's where the flow can come. But the minute we just, I've got to try to get this forgiveness thing down. I've just got to try to memorize these verses on God loving me. Nothing will change. Here's when the change comes. Here's when the change comes. Lord, send your spirit in power to my heart. Send your spirit in power to my heart, empowering me to believe I'm forgiven, empowering me to turn my back on shame, empowering me to love him, to want to serve him. The joy of the Lord, the joy of our salvation becomes a reality. Okay, so... I'm gonna, I just got to stop there. I just need to leave it right there. I, I, know, I know somebody say, preacher, every time you get up, you say that same thing. You repeat that same prayer. Lord, send your spirit and power for Christ's sake. It's because that is the key for you to be set free. That is the key for you and I to walk in freedom and in the power and the authority he wants us to walk in. It's by his spirit, not by us just trying to be a Christian, trying to do what we're supposed to do. Lord, I admit to you, I surrender to you, I don't have the power, but I'm declaring you do. And I know enough about what my children need, I know enough about what my grandchildren might want. If I know that about them, then you know this about me, that the greatest gift you can give to me on a day-to-day basis is the empowering of your spirit in my life, and I ask for it. That's the promise of the Father. That's what John the Baptist talked about. That's what Jesus talked about in John 7. I told you I got to quit and I can't quit. Let's just go stop right here. Lord, 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 send your spirit and power to our hearts to help us where you know we need help, to persuade us, to convince us, to empower us in the way that you know how to do it in the way that we need. We found you faithful to forgive. 
Now, Lord, may we also, from this point forward, find you faithful to empower us to live a forgiven life. By the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And amen and amen. Let's stand together. Can we do that? Streaming family, we, we bless you for staying with us this long. Wish you were here. Maybe one day this side of heaven will figure out a way to get us all in the same room. It's just so good to see your faces. It's so good to preach to you. you you're, you're the, it's the greatest place in the world. I'll tell my preacher friends, no, the greatest place to preach is 6500 IH 35 North. In that old building, there used to be a mall. We're getting another one going up out there. And if you hadn't walked through the, your, your new home, you, you ought to do that. And, and there are scripture verses being put on, on things and on the, the beams. And that all that will be painted over one day. But I'm telling you, there are some powerful verses. Shirley and I, yesterday afternoon, came back over here. We needed to see something with regard to the building. And we, and we walked in there. Oh, folks. I know it's a building, and I know it's sheetrock and steel and cement, but just walking in there, there was a sense of the presence of him. He's already there. We're not going to say, Lord, Lord, come with us. I just believe he's already there. He's already there. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for doing what the Lord's prompting you to do to help us um, get, get what we need out there. And as we told you, it'll be paid for. Whatever you're walking into out there, it's going to be paid for. And we'll trust the Lord to give us the things that He is. He's doing that as you are faithful. I'm one one thing too that I just I, I can't I, I just can't get away from it is that that it, it's a smaller building, but it is it, it's going to be like a Yeti cooler. Y'all know what a Yeti cooler is? I mean, it, we're going to have insulation around that thing. We, we've, we've spent so much money in, in trying to air condition and heat and so forth this building that, that those, those dollars, only thousands of dollars every month could go. Instead of, instead of going to pay bills, we can, we, we can go to buy food for the, for the poor, for the hungry. We can send missionaries and keep missionaries all over the world. That, that's what we're doing. That's part of it is that we're not having to spend it in, in ways that it'll just evaporate. But, but the more there we're trusting the extra that has been going to the utilities can can go for kingdom work and that that's going to be awesome okay i, I just can't shut up sir you need to come get me just drag me down she's got i told you she's got one of those one of those play one of those flags that the coaches can throw in at nfl she hadn't pitched it yet but i can tell she's thinking about it would you take somebody's hand if you if if you're okay to do this? I know hopefully COVID's far enough behind us. Step across those aisles. Let's just let's just grab a hold of somebody. If you're if you're into your home streaming family and and you want to just take hold of someone, let's let let's do that. And and we're going to sing. And we do. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. This will be our closing prayer together. If we can pray with you, uh, join us down here after we get through with the song. Prayer partners, head this way, and, and we'll be here to pray with you if we can. God bless you. Sing this. This is good. This is true. He is our awesome God.